Hey, thanks again for making the time to uh, join in. My name is Jeff Fuller. You are listening to Jay Fuller Interviews. Now, uh, Apple iTunes, Google Podcasts, Jay Fuller Interviews, the Backfire Podcast with Jeff Fuller of Jay Fuller Interviews, Instagram, Twitter, uh, YouTube, Jay Fuller Interviews. And I believe people's stories matter because we can learn a lot from one another, unlearn what we thought was right to relearn what is right. One with a tremendous story is Damon West. And before he jumps on here. I just wanted to share that uh, it's all about relationships. I had the opportunity to uh, interview Tammy Matheny. She's written the book, This is Good, excellent uh, person and a tremendous connector. And she introduced me to Catherine Gordon, who I didn't realize is the wife of author, uh, keynote speaker, John Gordon. And it was just phenomenal to have that opportunity. But then I was looking at mutual friends and I came across the one, the only bringing him up now, Damon West. And so Damon, and that's how I was first introduced to you is just kind of Google stalking some friends from uh, different connections. And then I saw your story. I reached out to you and you said, hey, have you read my book? And I said, I haven't. So I got that right away. And it's been a little while, but uh, so glad to have you on today. So thanks for making the time. Jeff, hey, man, thanks for your time and thanks for your patience. You're right. It has been a little while. My schedule has been very crazy, but you've been uh, persistent and diligent about it. And look, I respect the heck out of someone who takes the approach that you took, the approach that says, you know what, I'm going to just reach out to this person and do that. Because I, yeah. I do that in my own life too. I mean, I do that all the time. And I, I probably fail 70, 70% of the time. I mean, seven out of 10 people don't yeah. message me yeah. back or message me back and tell me I can't do it. But 30% of the time, uh, you know, you, you hit, you score. And so that's, you know, in baseball, if you had a, a 300 batting average, you'd be in the Hall of Fame. So um, I really appreciate it. And, and I was wondering, I was going to ask you today what the connection was. So you just you just relayed that to me. So that's pretty cool. And that's pretty cool how you did all that. Well, I love people's stories and yours is certainly one that uh, is inspiring. But I love how you go around speaking uh, from your experience. But I just want to slow down a little bit. I'm so excited to talk to you. And that's just I've heard you share that you tell your stories so people can learn from it. They don't have to replicate or go through those hard times. Why do you think it is some students or people would say, well, Damon made it so I can take this own road that he took and I'll make it too. Yeah. You know, and, and that's something that has come up before, uh, you know, people have said, well, you know, what if students say, you know, Damon did it, I can do it. Look how he turned out and he made all these mistakes. And so, um, I don't I don't think that's the logical path for most most people when they hear the story, because when they hear the, what I had to go through to get where I am. I mean, Jeff, I got dropped off in a, in a certifiable living hell for almost a decade. I mean, a yeah. maximum security level five penitentiary in the state of Texas. That's as hard as it gets. Most people's biggest fear in life, Jeff, is to go to prison. And I didn't just go to prison. I went to the bowels of a prison. And so I, I think that. You know, on the surface, you know, you might have some people say, well, look, he made it. You know, he look how well he turned out. But when they hear the story, Jeff, they're like, no, that's OK. I, I don't want to have to go through all that. And everyone is a teacher. I tell people that all the time. We are all teachers and we're either going to teach people how to do something the right way or the wrong way. But we're all teachers and we all have this role as teachers in society. And and it's our choice every day to decide what kind of teacher we want to be. And you hit on something just now when you talk about learning from other people. I was having a conversation with Nick Saban, the coach from University of Alabama, yeah, and yeah. getting ready to speak to his team. And he told me the difference between a good player and a great player. He said good players learn from their own mistakes. And great players, they learn from the mistakes of others. 
Hmm. And so that's what I want to be in life. I want to be uh, both a great player and a great teacher. I want to show my mistakes so people don't have to go out and make the same choices, go down the same roads. And I think the overall, the net effect of that is that a lot of people see my story and it, for the ones that need the warning, they get the message. And the ones that are looking for the message of hope, they get that too. It's both a warning and a message of hope. And so Damon, uh, Instagram, Twitter, it's at Damon West seven, Damon West, the number seven. And uh, for yourself, also DamonWest.org. You grew up in Texas. So I say this kind of tongue in cheek, but how did you grow up in Texas and uh, be a Democrat and not a conservative Republican? (laughs) Well, I mean, look, I mean, the area of Texas I grew up in is a very it was a very Democratic stronghold. For a long time. And, you know, today I don't even get involved in politics. Right, right. I, honestly, I can't even vote. I'm a, well, I, I can't. I can't. I get off parole. Yeah. I'm on parole until the year 2073. And uh, so I can in Texas, the law says I can vote two years after my sentence is over. So in 2075, I'm looking forward to registering and voting again. <laughs> I'm not sure what political parties will even be there in 2075. <laughs> Uh, hopefully America's still here in 2075. But um, I do know this. We stick on the current pace. It's not even a presidential year. I got to wait one right. more year. Till I'm, I'll be 100 in 2075. So I got to wait till I'm 101 to actually vote in the presidential again. So I'm not going to worry about it till then. Yeah, that'd be quite the accomplishment. But Damon, I just want to jump to your story. And uh, for me, I uh, interviewed a gentleman um, and he just talked about being a coffee bean, being a coffee bean. And I was like, that's interesting. And then I found out that came with you or Mr. Jackson, who you met when you were incarcerated. How did you grow up? Was that something when Mr. Jackson mentioned that to you, it resonated with how you grew up? Or was that something just brand new to you altogether? Yeah, you know, I think that I think Mr. Jackson's story of the coffee bean resonated with how um, how I grew up around athletics, especially because playing sports, I was not the biggest I was not the biggest player out there. And I I don't ever think I was always the most talented, but you could not outwork me. You could not outmaneuver me. I mean, I was a student of the game of football playing quarterback. I was a guy that was the first one to show up, you know, at practice. I'd get up in the mornings at six o'clock before school started and work out, throw footballs through tire swings, stuff like that. So there were things that I was doing that came from within me. And that's the, the message of the coffee bean is the power within you. Yeah, because I was determined and that determination, I think, is something that was instilled in me at a young age. But I had lost that, Jeff. You know, it's it's a, it's an interesting question since that just the other day I was talking to my father and my parents are still alive. My parents are still yeah. married. I've been, my parents have been married for 53 years, Jeff. I didn't come wow. from a broken home. You know, I came from a, a great family where God was at the center of everything. Yeah. And I was a great athlete. I was a talented athlete, uh, you know, uh, because I worked hard at it. I worked really hard at my craft and what I did. And, and I was a, a decent student. I mean, I made grades enough to be in honors classes, but, but, um, you know, I was telling my dad the other day that I, when I, when my football career ended on September 21st, 1996 against Texas A&M, 25 years ago, essentially from the recording of this mm-hmm. podcast, my football career ended on Saturday afternoon in college station, Texas, when I was injured. Um, and I never played football again. And I lost my way because I lost my drive. I never found anything else again that I worked as hard at like football. Football was my life. My identity was being a football player. And and that's a perilous choice to make because when you put your identity, your self-worth, your value into something that can be taken away from you, 
Well, then you run the risk of, of being a prisoner in your own mind because it's something that can be taken away from you. You know, you can't make that your bedrock. You can't make that your life. But today, like I told my father, this new life that I have where I go out and I, I encourage other people to be the best version of themselves and I share the call to me message. This to me is the first thing I've ever found in life that I was as passionate about, like what I was when I was I was trying to be an athlete. But today I've got it in the right place. You see, yeah. because today my value, my identity, my self-worth is really based in three things, Jeff. Uh, the first thing, most important thing is my faith. And my faith is where my program of recovery is. And I'm an addict. I'm an addict. And this is what an, an addict looks in all kinds of different ways. I'm an addict. Today I have a program recovery. So, I mean, I don't have to get out in my addiction. I have a 12-step program recovery. Uh, but in my 12 step pro program recovery, you know, my faith is at the core of that. So my faith is the number one thing that I put my value, my identity, my self-worth in. That keeps me sober. The second thing is the relationships I've built along the way in life. And relationships are so important, Jeff. And I've built, you know, you build these relationships up in life. Nothing can take that away. Not even right. death. I mean, because right. you can take that, take that with you. And the third thing is my ability to serve other people, servant leadership. And I'm going to tell you something, Jeff, these values, these identities, these these things that I that I identify myself with, these, these three things, there's no pandemic. There's no economic right. downturn. Right. There's no prison sentence that can take away one of those three things like it was once when I was put my value, my identity and being a football player that could be taken away. Not today, because I know this because I've survived prison and come out with only these three things. Yeah. I have survived the pandemic. And still have these three things. I've survived an economic downturn and came out with my faith, my relationships, right. and my ability to serve other people. So I have found a system that is foolproof from the the the, the things that happen in life. Right. Well, that's so good. Damon West making some time. DamonWest.org, Twitter, Instagram. It's at Damon West, the number seven. And uh, before we get into your story, I just want to talk a little bit about um, your opportunity to write a book. And uh, that does have to do a lot with your story. But the change agent, when you were first approached about writing a book, was that something you always wanted to do? Or did it seem like a difficult task? How did that all happen for you? <laughs> this is a God thing. It's a crazy story here, man. So um, I've been out of prison for a little while, you know, a little less than a year. And, and, and a fraternity brother of mine in, in New York named Jeff Boyd, and Jeff and I had stayed in touch while I was in prison. He actually sent a bunch of clothes uh, for me to have. When I got, he donated a bunch of clothes to me. We're about the same size. And so uh, Jeff owned his own business, living in Manhattan. He messaged me one day. He said, hey, man, you got that prison diary you were keeping, you told me about? I was like, yeah, man. He said, well, let me see some of it. I like, I'd like to read some of your prison diary. So I sent him some pages of my prison diary. And I'd been putting them together, not knowing what I was going to do with it. And he said, hey, look, do you mind if I, I share this with a friend of mine? He's a literary agent in New York. His name is Alex Glass. I was like, no, man, go ahead. And so Alex gets in touch with me a few days later, a few weeks later. And he says, hey, you know, this is great. Where's the rest of this book? And I'm like, hmm. book? That's not a book. That's a, <laughs> it's a diary. He said, man, this is this is a book in the making. He said, this can be a book. You can sell this thing. It's a book. People will read this kind of stuff. And I was like, well, you know, Alex, if this is a book, then I need to go out and live the best chapters because obviously the best chapters of my life have not been lived. I need to go out and become useful again to the world. And once I'm useful, then I'll submit to you the rest of this book. And so, uh, you know, I submitted the manuscript and 
where the book ends, August of 2018, um, kind of a full circle moment where the book ends, where I'm just, just get done speaking at the American Correctional Association Conference in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and the entire delegation from the Texas prison system is there. And they're looking wow. at a guy on stage talking that less than four years before that was inside of one of their toughest prisons in the state yeah. of Texas. And that delegation that day pulled me aside and, and let me know that, hey, we're ready to start doing some stuff with you, start working. And like I've, I've told the Texas delegation, you know, Texas, the state of Texas and Damon West are married for the rest of our lives. I'm on parole until the year 2073, Jeff. So like I told him, I said, hey, let's make this a happy marriage. Let me find ways to use me. Send me back into your prison system so I can, you know, bring this message to being a coffee bean and hope to the men and women locked up inside. And we can change the prison system by turning it into a big pot of coffee. And that was really the the, the moment in August of 2018. That's why the book ends there and it gets submitted because this is a full circle moment. You know, I, I'm, I'm out of prison. I'm out there. I'm becoming use, useful to the point that one of the biggest prison systems in America says, hey, let's do some work together. So pretty, pretty remarkable. Again, Damon West, make us up time. You can find on YouTube, the Damon West channel and uh, both in your book and on the YouTube channel. It talks about how when you were nine years old, you are, uh, were molested and uh, suffered. Even with great family, uh, difficult things happen. My question in that is, after you were injured, how much of that tragedy when you were younger came into play with the drug use? Or maybe I should back up because you mentioned that you started to drink and uh, smoke pot even before your teenage years. Did that all go together or was that just life growing up where you did? Yeah, you know, that's a good question, Jeff. And I appreciate the ability to be able to explain that further because some people will latch on it will not latch on that well they'll, they'll take that and say okay well he was so traumatized by the sexual molestation that he turned to alcohol and pot and drugs and and look here's what it, i think happens in my mind and this is the person that went through it is that i was molested by a female babysitter and um what it did at nine years old was it opened up doors that no nine-year-old should ever go on the other side right, of right? right and now i'm on the other side of these doors and I didn't necessarily look at what happened to me as a traumatic experience. I wanted more. I wanted more of that. I wanted more of these adult behaviors. I got introduced to sexual behaviors at nine years old. And once that door was open, I'm on the other side of that door. And there's all these other doors that, that are just left unlocked. Because, as you know, adults, you have the key to open any door you want. You have free free will and choice to do everything. And you don't. So I'm on the other side of this door and I'm looking at it. I'm drawing this 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 picture of all these doors being open i'm just opening doors of adult behaviors there's drinking they're smoking cigarettes you know they're smoking pot you know there's using foul language and getting into fights and 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 you know bad behaviors there's all kinds of different things where free choice lies and i'm on the other side of those doors and i'm just a kid man i'm curious i'm going through all these doors and the the dangerous part about that is that I, you know i got introduced to adult behaviors at a very young age with molestation and I wanted to experience as many adult behaviors as possible. None of my friends, not none of my friends, most of my friends were not in to the adult behaviors I was into. But I mean, you always find other kids your age that are into something. Mm -hmm. and, and look, I and mean, this is one of those things where you go from hanging out with a bad crowd to one day becoming the bad crowd. And right. um, that's where it all started for me. It started with, you know, the molestation at nine and drinking when I was 10. I liked the way it felt to get buzzed on my dad's beer. 
I'd steal my mom's cigarettes. You know, my mom used to smoke back then and steal her cigarettes. And then, then at 12, I was smoking pot, skipping school. I had a lot of character issues. But Jeff, I could throw a football, man. And this is Texas. I don't know what you know about Texas high school football, but it's like a religion in my home state, man. This is the uh, Texas is the real deal, man. Football is very sacred down here. And I was the man. I was a three-year starting quarterback for a 5A school, almost unheard of, you know, in most places back then. And then I got a scholarship to play ball at the University of North Texas. And by the time I was 20, I was the starting quarterback for a Division One college football team. Man. And so um, a lot of my behaviors, uh, bad as they were, got swept under the rug because I was the star quarterback. Yeah. So, yeah, um, I, I think that, you know, the molestation thing opened me up to a lot of adult behaviors. And I, I think that was the real risk that happened to me there. Regarding football, did you ever want to play any other position or was quarterback king? Quarterback was king, dude. That was yeah. it. I mean, this is the this is it, Jeff. I mean, this is this is the spot. This is the guy. You know, there's only two people on the team that touch the football every play on offense, the center and the quarterback, you know? And the center doesn't do much with it after he touches it, right? But the quarterback, man, you're the man. You're you're but you're a leader. And and I've always been a leader, Jeff. That's the thing. And I've had teachers ever since I was a child in elementary school that said, you are a natural born leader, Damon, but whether you lead people in the right way or the wrong way is your choice. You're going to have to choose which way you want to lead people. And so being a quarterback was a natural fit for a guy that it was a natural born leader, right? You're the leader on the field. You know, you know what everybody on offense is doing. You know what everybody on defense is doing yeah. across from you. If you do it right, you study the game. And so you're the general, you're the field general. You, 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 know, you take your orders from a coach on the sideline that calls plays sometimes. I mean, it got to be my senior year. I could call some of my own plays. Yeah. But you're the guy on the field. You're the leader on the field, and people follow you. And, and you know, being a quarterback, there's no tougher position in all of sports. And, and I put this on social media one day, Jeff. So there was a guy that, that lives in my area. He was a former Major League Baseball pitcher. And I put it out there that quarterback is the toughest position in all of sports. You get all the fame. You get all the blame. There's no tougher position in any sport. And then this guy responds back and says, wow, I think I think being a pitcher is, is tougher. And I'm like, oh, yeah. When was the last time you threw a pitch and a guy that's 300 pounds ran a 4-6 was chasing after you while you threw the ball? You know, it's like so. But quarterback is it, man. And I've never wanted to play any other position. Man. And I loved the position of quarterback because it's such a mental position. You know, quarterback, you need some physical tools. And this was the knock on me coming out of high school as I was small. I'm, you know, 5'10 and a half, 170 pounds. But but I could play. I, I had a cannon for an arm, but I had a mind. I could read defense. I studied a lot. That's like I'm telling the outworking part. I'd, I'd, I'd go into film. I'd, I'd watch, you know, 10, 12 hours of film a week when, in high school. And I was, I was a student of the game. And by watching a lot of film, you can eliminate a lot of, choices on the football field when you get to the Friday night game or the Saturday if you're playing college football because you see defenses and you recognize that, hey, this play that I'm in, this defense that they're in, these two receivers are going to be gone for right. my read progression, but I can use my eyes to get that safety over there to bite on that, and I can hit one of these other two guys that are running another route. And so that, that's what I did. I tried to use that as much to my advantage as possible, but I loved playing quarterback man i love the challenge of the mental aspect of the game it was like a giant game of chess not checkers chess now recently i was told or warned cautioned that uh too many people want a cheerleader in their life when they really need a coach did you respond well to a coach that would proverbially or literally get in your face and yell or what type of coach did you respond best to 
Yeah, you know, the, the coaches that got in my face and yelled, that it here's a here's a here's what I would tell you is this. You know what? Hang on, I got this little halo. This this light. Yeah. Looks like a halo behind me. I don't need a halo. <laughs> so um, but uh so here's the thing I would tell you about coaches. It's coaches and people in general. The coaches that get in your face and yell, as long as you're gonna be the kind of get in your face and yell coach all the time, that's you right, all the right, time. Right. Be that coach. Be the same coach you're going to be all the time. Be Every time your feet hit the floor, be the same person. And if you're going to be the kind of coach that calmly says something and, and says, hey, you know what? You know, sometimes the coaches that don't raise their voice are the ones that get your attention more. When you've got to really strain to listen to what someone's saying, then you're really listening. Right. Sometimes someone yelling at you doesn't get through to you. I, I can do I can I can learn from both. But I, I would tell you that being a quarterback uh, the most effective coaches that I've dealt with were ones that talked to me, that didn't scream at me. I had great quarterback coaches, too. I mean, this is, you know, two guys in college I can really think of, Steve Craigthorpe and, and Coach Hall, uh, Chris Hall, uh, two different quarterback coaches I had at two different times in college. But both of these men, uh, they took the approach that, hey, look, these are quarterbacks. These guys are different. They're going to they're, – they're thinkers, they're learners, and I'm going to talk to them like a thinker and a learner. And sometimes you get yelled at. I mean, of course, when you're making yeah. stupid mistakes, you need someone to come down on you. But um, for the most part, I think the most effective coaches dealing with me were coaches that talked to me, didn't scream at me, you know, when talking to get it done. Did I need some screaming? You bet I did, man. And a lot of my behaviors off the field are what needed the screaming at me the most. <clears throat> Damon, if you would, uh, take us back to uh, July 30th, 2008, when you were with Tex. Uh, first of all, who was Tex and what happened on that now infamous date? Yeah, so July 30th, 2008, man, I'm sitting around this little rundown apartment in Dallas. I'm sitting on this little ratty old couch, and I've got my meth dealer sitting next to me. And Tex is my meth dealer. And, uh, you know, sitting there, I'm smoking meth with Tex in this glass pipe, passing it back and forth. And, and I'm telling Tex, man, Tex, I don't think you want to be here, man. I, the, the cops are closing in. My days are numbered, Tex, is what I'm telling him. And I think the cops are about to close in on me. Because 10 days before this, this guy that I had been doing all these burglaries with in Dallas, this guy named Dustin, had been picked up by the Dallas Police Department over a stolen car. So I know it's just a matter of time before the cops get to me. And just, just as I'm passing the pipe back to Tex, I heard a window shatter off to my right. And tumbling across my living room floor was this little canister going end over end. And the canister is smoking on one side. And Jeff, man... It's like a slow motion reel from a movie, a movie that I've seen before because I know what that little canister tumbling yeah. on my floor means because it's smoking. Man, I tried to get out of that living room as fast as I could. Too late. Boom. The flash ring grenade went off right in my face. Bright white light, loud noise, blows me back on the couch. And when I came to, when I could see and hear again, there's a cop standing over me in full SWAT riot gear. He's got his boot on my chest. The barrel from the assault rifle is digging in my eye socket. And he's screaming at the top of his lungs. Don't move. Don't move. And man, one of the, when I look up the cop and he's got that gun in my eye, I'm like, man, don't worry. Don't worry. Right. And so these, these cops, these, these SWAT officers start flooding in my apartment. And one of them screams out, we got him. We got the uptown burglar, the uptown burglar, Jeff. That was the name, yeah, yeah. the moniker. That's I'll live with that for the rest of my life. It doesn't matter how many lives I can possibly impact with this message of change and hope and, and, and God and, and, and what what the power inside of us is, it doesn't matter, man. It doesn't matter how many books I write. I'll never escape that name, that moniker, the Uptown Burglar. 
about a dozen other meth addicts and myself, young and old, male and female, black and white and everything in between because drugs and addiction do not discriminate, but we indiscriminately and without reservation broke into the homes of dozens of people in the uptown neighborhood of Dallas to feed our insatiable meth habits. But Jeff, on July 30th, 2008, the uptown burglaries finally came to an end. After three years, the police, they had their man. They had the mastermind of the whole crime ring on the floor, zip tied. And that was the day they took me off to Dallas County Jail and arrested me. And I, I, I tell audience all the time, Jeff, that wasn't just the day I was arrested. That was the day I was rescued, man. God yeah. got me out of a situation I could not get myself out of. Let me tell you a little backstory to July 30th. Now, about a month before that, I had run out of dope. And, and when you're in the world, the meth world, you run out of dope, your body hurts, man. Your mind hurts. Everything hurts. And hey, and Jeff, I've just got a, a message sent to me that says that the website is up. So I didn't know if that awesome. would be any interest of you back there. So so it's about a month before that July 30th day. And um, I'm sitting there and, and I've run out of dope. I'm, 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 out of, I'm out of meth. And I can't get any more meth brought into me right then that in that moment. And I'm hurting. It's been two days like that I've had a dope and my body hurts. My mind hurts. And I'm laying on the floor looking up at the ceiling in a dirty old apartment. I'm like, you know what, God, if you're even there, if you're even real, I'm done, man. I'm done with this life. I can't do this anymore because I was tired, Jeff. I was been doing this for three or four years now. The burglaries for three years, the meth for four years. I'm exhausted, man. I'm just tired. And uh, I'm talking to God. Whatever I think God is at that point, because I, you know, my life is so upside down. I'm like, man, yeah. if you're real, I'm, I'm done. Come get me. And man, 30 days later, when they've got me on the floor of that apartment, they're zip tying me. There's guns <laughs> in my faces. The first thought that goes through my head is like, I didn't mean this. This is right, what I, right. I wasn't talking about this, man. What are you doing? man? This is not what I meant. But, you know, when God's got his own way of doing things, man. And so when God's ready for you in, in any environment or any job that God has for you. Maybe it's in this life. Maybe it's in another life. It, it's coming. It's going. And so those prayers, whatever they were, you want to call them a month before I was uh, arrested, those prayers were answered. God got me out of a situation I couldn't get myself out of. Sent a SWAT team to do it. You know, it's like his angels coming in and extracting me from this world that I'm in. A world, Jeff, that there's no way I'm coming out of that alive. Maybe, yeah. maybe if I come out alive, I'm, I'm a version of myself that you don't want to be around. I'm living on the streets. I, I still to this day, when I pass up people at an overpass or stop sign, whatever they're and they're out there living under a bridge, and and I always say the same thing: there, but for the grace of God, go hmm. out. Because yeah. I've been that person. I've been that addict in my addiction. I've been homeless before, man. I've 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 lived in abandoned buildings. I've done all that stuff they're doing. I've, my fingernails are dirty with grime and dirt underneath them. And I've been that person. And I always say, but there before the grace of God go out. Because God sent a SWAT team to get me on July 30th, 2008. But the journey was just beginning, man. I had no idea what I was about to walk into. Hey, Damon. And I, I certainly appreciate how you accept responsibility and share about the victims who uh, whose safety you stole away. And uh, that trial that took six days and you had everybody coming up and just sharing what you had done. When did you stop denying that that wasn't you? That was just a bad thing you did to, wow, well, I need to accept responsibility for everything that I've been a part of. Yeah, it was uh, May 18th, 2009. You know, some of these dates really stick out in your mind. But May 18, 2009, after a six day trial, that jury and the jury listened to so much overwhelming evidence of my guilt. 
that they went to deliberate. And it rem- I want to remind you, these crimes that I committed against my victims, like you said, I, I didn't just steal these people's property. I stole their sense of security, Jeff. I don't know if some of them will ever get that back. And, and I'm sure a lot of my victims will live with that for the rest of their lives. And, and I can't change that. There's nothing I can do to change that in their lives. I can go out and try to make a positive impact in the lives of other people. And, um, but these, these, these burglaries that were committed, you know, keep in mind, no one was ever home. I never saw my victims. They never saw me. There's no physical contact. No one was ever physically hurt during these burglaries. I went through a lot of, you know, I made sure that people weren't home before I went into their houses. Thank God. But the jury, after six days of overwhelming evidence of my guilt, they hated me. And I gave them every reason to hate me. I gave them the paint to paint that picture of me. I gave the DA the paint and the brush to paint the picture of Damon West. And and the picture that came out at the end is a detestable person that deserved to be punished, deserved to go down. And that jury levied that punishment. They went to deliberate for 10 minutes on my sentence, Jeff. 10 10 minutes, man. I don't know how much law and order you watch, (laughs) but if the jury's gone for 10 minutes, they smoked you. And and when I came back into the courtroom after that little 10-minute break, Jeff, I had two lawyers. I thought I was going to get probation and get out and be high that same day. I thought I was going to get 10 years probation. I've never had a felony conviction, right? White, middle-class guy. I've got two lawyers. Man, I'm skating out of this courtroom with a 10-year probation. I'm getting high by the end of the day, man. I'll be high before nightfall. Man, That when I came back in and, and my second chair attorney, a woman named Karen Lambert, I had two attorneys at trial, Jeff, two lawyers, two paid lawyers. A second chair attorney, Karen Lambert, she said, brace yourself. It's going to be wow. bad. And I'm like, what do you mean? How bad? She said, while well, you were gone for that little brief 10 minutes, the jury sent a note into the judge and wanted to know if they could give you life without parole. Hmm. Jeff, I'm like, life without parole is a capital punishment for capital yeah. crime. Yeah. These are not capital crimes. These are property crimes committed on drugs. No one was ever hurt. She said, be that as it may, they hate you and you need to get ready. So the judge came back in and read the sentence out. 65 years, Jeff, wow. 65 years. In Texas, that's a life sentence because Texas Department of Criminal Justice, the prison system, they stopped calculating sentences at 60 years wow. because anything 60 and above is life. You've got to be 17 to go to prison. 60 on top of that is a natural lifespan of a human being. A jury gave me life in 10 minutes that day after a week-long trial. And it was at that time, that day, that, that was my rock-bottom moment. And we talk about rock-bottom in addiction. Rock bottom is a place that some addicts get to. Some addicts don't ever get to rock bottom, Jeff. They die. Jeff, they, we, right. we talk about in our 12-step program, the three things guaranteed to you in your life of addiction, jails, institutions, and death. That's hmm. it. If you don't hit rock bottom, that's what you get. But that was my rock bottom moment, getting sentenced to life in prison. And that's the day that I knew that something had to change. And that something was me. I was the one that had to change. And so um, I didn't know how I was going to do it. I didn't have a clue how I was going to do it. But I remember, you know, the, the first time I was asked about this was by the 700 Club when I was doing an interview with them. And they, they said, well, you know, tell me about that day. And then, then they asked the simultaneous question. Tell me about the day you, you gave your life to Christ. And that, that was also May 18th, hmm. 2009, because I came back to my pod in Dallas County Jail after that long trial for six days. I came back in that night. And so when I walk into the pod, all the guys are looking at me. I mean, they're looking at a dead man walking. The, the trial was a high profile case. It was on TV 
in the in the, in the jail. Think about one of these high profile trials that are on TV. These inmates that I'm living with are watching it. I came in. They knew I had life. No one wanted to come near me. No one. I'm like a leper, you know. And and so I go in there. I grab my stuff. I go to the shower. And you can't cry in jail. You can't cry in prison. That's showing weakness. Yeah. And if you want to cry, you go to the showers. And I went to the shower that night after my trial. And I remember I just cried and cried and cried. And, and I, I, I told Jesus, I said, I'm done, man. I, I can't I can't do this anymore. Uh, I, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I, I can't get through it without you. And the really cool thing, Jeff, is that, you know, it's the th- same thing with Christ all the time. You know, he's there waiting for you. Got his arms yeah. out. Come mm-hmm. on. I got you. You know, get on my back. I got you. And um, that was the night I, I really, that was when I uh, uh, surrendered to Christ and said, hey, if we're going to get, if I'm going to get through this, it's going to be through you. You're going to have to get out of the way. And, and that was it. And that was the day a lot of stuff happened for me. But that was the day I accepted all responsibility for the things I did and realized that I had to change myself if I was going to change anything. It, was, it could only be me. So, Damon, this picture uh, next to me or uh, behind me, it's uh, you on the sidelines with Coach Jimmy Johnson, the Dallas Cowboys. When did your life kind of flash between your eyes of all the promise, all the hopes that you had to you were going to prison for what you thought was going to be the rest of your life? Yeah, um, my life flashed before me. You know, being sentenced to life in prison was was a shock getting to prison was a bigger shock, you know? And and of course, you know, there's some coaching that happens with me the two months while I'm waiting to go to prison in Dallas County jail, two and a half months, roughly while I'm waiting to go to to prison in Dallas County jail, Mr. Jackson's there to coach me along. But, you know, he was so spot on about some of the stuff I was going to face in prison, but there's a moment there in prison. It's about two months into prison. And look, I've been fighting like crazy, uh, there's a lull in the fighting because I've earned some respect on the rec yard from the guys out there. But I come back into my pod one and one day from the rec yard and this other the cellmate of mine named Carlos was waiting for me in the day room. And he, and he told me that waiting for me, the, this guy was going to come rape me in the showers that day. Yeah. This guy was the biggest rapist in prison. And he was there. Big black guy. I love to rape white guys. And I've been playing basketball with the black guys and everything in prison was about race. And I was going against all those lines because. I made a promise to my parents that I wouldn't come out to be a racist. I wouldn't get in one of these Aryan Brotherhood type gangs. And I got the worst kind of attention possible from the biggest rapist in prison. He was there to get me with a knife that day. And um, and I didn't know how to fight with a knife. And so Carlos, my cellmate, he converted a fan motor into a weapon for me. Basically took the fan motor out of my little personal fan, little five-pound motor, put it into a mesh commissary bag and something I could swing, like a ball and chain flail, like a medieval yeah. weapon. And my goal was to kill this guy in the shower because because Carlos told me, he said, you have to you have to kill this guy. You, you don't have there's no other path He's because he told me, he said, whatever choice you make. He said, you'll never leave this place alive. And he said, because either he's going to do something to you today that you're going to wish you were dead for. And he'll probably have to kill you to rape you or you're going to kill him. But if you kill him, they're going to give you another life. And they may give you the death penalty, you know, even. But you're never leaving prison alive. And it was that little walk from 45 cell to the shower that day with this weapon in my hand, this five pound motor in this bag, that it was a 20 foot walk, maybe because 45 shell was cell was the closest cell to the showers. But that little 20 minute, the little, little not 20 minute walk, 20 second walk. I'm sorry. It was I'm about 20 seconds away from sure. the shower. My cell was close to the shower. And that little 20 seconds felt like 20 miles because in that time I'm flashing back to my life that like that picture with Jimmy Johnson 
And I'm thinking to myself, Damon, you had everything going for you in life, man. Everything in the world, every advantage, every privilege, every opportunity. And I'm thinking back of the different things. It's weird how your mind works like that. You're just flashbacks of all these scenes, playing catch in the front yard with your dad, you know, uh, your mom, you know, going to church and all these things when you're a kid. And there's a zoom, 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 zoom. It's all playing for your eyes. And then you're standing in that shower and you've got to start preparing yourself to either kill or be killed. And uh, that was the day that it all flashed in front of my eyes. Like, man, you had, you had everything. And now you're going to either kill a man in the shower or he's going to kill you. But this is the way it all is all going to end. And I actually prayed. Uh, you know, I prayed that day to give God for God to give me the ability to kill this guy. And uh, luckily, Jeff, I didn't kill the guy in the shower that day. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I've messed him up bad with that fan motor. Some of his game brothers stopped me from killing him because I had him on the, on the position that I could have killed him. And if I had killed him that day, we wouldn't be having this conversation. But that was the day, man, that it all flashed from my eyes. And all of this is in your book, The Change Agent, which is a fascinating read, but even more, it's a true story of hope, of resilience, of grit that it took to uh, get through what you went through. And it's interesting because prison being incarcerated, it isn't normal life. And as you mentioned that you didn't have to win all the fights, but you still had to fight all the fights. So whether literally or proverbially, I think there's a lesson to be learned, whether it's a student in middle school that's going through something, not physically fighting necessarily, but they can't just run away from difficult times. When you think about that, was that something that came naturally for you being an athlete, being a competitor that you were willing to fight or how much did that pressure weigh on you day after day? You know, when Mr. Jackson tells me you don't have to win all your fights, but you have to fight all your fights that resonated with me. That resonated with me because, you know, if I look back, if I'm being honest and sober observer to my life, then that's how I've lived my life anyway, because I've been a competitor. I've been, a, I've been an, a fighter, not not necessarily just fighting like yeah, that, but yeah. I'm talking about fighting in life. Everybody has battles they go through in life. Right, you right. have to fight. I'm not talking about physical fights. I'm talking about your daily battles to live. And everybody goes through stuff in life. And I thought back to the times in my life when I was, you know, the best version of myself. And those were the times that I got knocked down and got right back up, got knocked down, got right back up. And it, those weren't the times that I got hooked on drugs and stayed in that world of addiction, because that's when you're down, you know, you're down, you're not up fighting anymore. When you're when you're an addict actively in your addiction, you're not fighting anymore. You've given up. You've 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 given in. Uh, but it resonated with me on several levels, Jeff, because now he's telling me about the world I'm about to go into, these fights that I'm about to have. And and had I not gotten that lesson, I think that and I think the reason why he thought it was so important to tell me that is that, you know, I probably got three dozen fights the entire time I was in prison and I lost 75 percent of those fights. Mm -hmm. There is a lot of discouragement and a lot of depression that you go through when you fight that much and you lose that much. You know, three out of every four times you're in combat with somebody, you're getting your butt handed to you. If you don't have the right mindset about fighting, right. you might give up because that's a lot of losses, man. That's 75 percent of the time you're fighting, you're losing. There's enough to make a lot of people quit. And I think a lot of people quit in life because their mindset is not right. If your mindset is that, hey, I don't have to win these fights. I just have to keep fighting these fights. Then you're going to use that in life. You're going to get up. There's day, there's days, Jeff, I have them. I know you have them. I know your listeners have them. When you wake up and you know that the minute your feet hit the floor, 
life's going to punch you in the mouth, yeah, man. Yeah. You're going to get hit with stuff. You know it's coming. You go to bed at night sometimes. You know, like, oh, my God, tomorrow's going to be a terrible day. But you got to face those days because laying in your bed's not going to change that. You have to face those days. You have to face those challenges of life. And you know what? There's two things I learned about adversity. I learned that the situation's never as bad as I think it's going to be. And I'm always capable of way more than I think I am. Yeah. Thinking can get in the way of so much, you know, don't let overthinking get in the way of overachieving, you know, right. of overcoming. That's so good. Uh, Damon West on Twitter and Instagram. It's at Damon West seven. Uh, you were incarcerated for seven years and three months. My question is, Mr. Jackson, were you able to keep in touch with him after you were released? Unfortunately, no, Jeff. And here's the reason why Jackson well, first of all, I gave him the name, Mr. Jackson. The only name I knew him by yeah, yeah. was Muhammad. And, you know, you these guys convert to Islam when they're in prison. And when mm -hmm. these guys convert to Islam, they give up what's called their government name. My government name is Damon West. Your government name is Jeff Fuller. So they give up their government name and they take on a Muslim name. Think about think about Cassius Clay. He goes to prison in the 1960s and he comes out Muhammad Ali. This guy was named Muhammad. The only name I knew him by was Muhammad. I never asked what his real name was, never got that. Right, right. And that's unfortunate because now to this day, I can't find him because Dallas County Jail has told me we need a real name. We need a birth date. We need something certifiable by our records. We can't find him. They call it a nickname, but to him, it was very serious. It was, it was, it was his Muslim name. Um, I can't find Muhammad. And I got to hope that, that one day Muhammad finds me because I've got yeah. a lot of story to tell him about where I've gone in life and where the message of the coffee bean has gone. I mean, Jeff, think about it. <laughs> this guy is telling me in the summer of 2012, summer 2011, I mean, summer 2009, we're in Dallas County Jail. And this guy's sharing with me this allegory of the carrot, the egg, and the coffee bean in a pot of boiling water, you know, about how the carrot turns soft in a pot of boiling water. And the egg turns hard. These are these are people's lives. You know, life, yeah, yeah. life beats you down some, sometimes. You are the carrot. Life beats you down sometimes. You are the egg. But he's telling me in that pot of boiling water called prison, you don't want to be the carrot because the carrot gets beat, gets robbed, may get raped, may get killed. You know, but in prison, the egg, too, the egg becomes hardened on the inside. And he said, if your heart becomes hardened, like that hard-boiled egg, he said, if your heart becomes hard inside that place, well, you're institutionalized now. And, and you, he's telling me I won't come back as someone my parents recognize because my eggshell is going to have swastikas tattooed right. all over it. And, right. and that's not the guy I want to be. But he's telling me about the coffee bean because the coffee bean is the only path I can choose to go forward. If I'm going to come out the other side of the man, my, my parents, you know, prom, the man that my parents raised, the man I know I can be the best version of myself because a coffee bean changes the pot of boiling water into a pot of coffee. Yeah. And yeah. it's the only thing he said that could change the water. The carrot was changed by the water, the egg, was changed by the water, but the coffee bean, coffee bean is the only thing that can change water, Jeff. And the, yeah, and the yeah. coffee bean can't even do its job until the water gets the hottest, man. Right. So life puts the most pressure on the coffee bean. That's when the coffee bean shines and does its job the best. And that's what he's telling me. That power to be a coffee bean is inside you to go out there and go be a coffee bean. I got to finish the conversation with this guy. Like, hey, man, when I left you in 2009, not only did I become the coffee bean, but, man, there's a couple of people like Dabo Swinney and John Gordon that picked up on this message and helped propel this right. thing into a, a global message now. The Coffee Bean, the book, The Coffee Bean, you know, when John Gordon and I wrote that book, it became a bestseller overnight, just like that. Yeah, it's still yeah. a bestseller. After two years, 
two plus years, every month it's on the bestseller list. But the message, more importantly, has been translated to other languages in the world. Every major language, Chinese, Spanish, French, Italian, Arabic. I mean, yeah. all these major languages in the world have the book, The Coffee Bean, now on a global publishing deal. That message all over the world. This is a conversation that happened in Dallas County Jail with two inmates that are sitting in there having coffee one morning. And he's telling me this story, man. Imagine that, man. I got to find this guy, Jeff. David, I have to ask you, and I ask respectfully because I know mental health, emotional wellness is so important. But I ask being an athlete, just wondering where sometimes there is pressure. And I understand if it is an emotional wellness issue, take that, get that taken care of. However, with grit and resilience, do you feel as though that the pendulum has swung maybe too far that people will call something something it's not when the pressure or the water gets too hot to stick with that analogy? You know, I don't know. Mental health is so important. I think that just to touch on that, there's two things that we have to change our attitudes towards in America, Jeff, mental health and substance abuse. Yeah. We failed. We failed as a society in these two areas. And, and I'm telling you this because I've been inside of a max security, prison. not only that, but I went back to school and got my master's in criminal justice yeah. after I got out of prison. And today I'm a professor at the university of Houston, downtown. And, and I, and I teach a class called prisons in America. So, I mean, mm. I, I went from living in a prison to teaching about prison to college students in America and at one of the biggest universities in America. And I, and I tell all my students the same thing. We have failed. We have failed because inside of our prisons, our prisons are full of people that have mental health problems and substance abuse, you know, yeah. issues. And both of them are, uh, are affecting the mind. And so we have failed with that. And so, you know, in sports, there's a lot of pressure to perform in sports. And, and I think that when we, when we put too much expectation on the athlete to physically perform without working on their, their social, emotional health, their social, right. emotional self. We've got to develop the whole athlete is what I'm saying, Jeff. We've, we, you can't just you can't just say, hey, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to train you to be this giant physical yeah. specimen and you're going to go out there and perform <laughs> week in and week out. That won't work. That won't. It'll, it'll work for a while. I mean, it, it'll work for a while. And it, it generally it'll work in high school. You can find these right. guys that are these elite athletes. But then when they get to a, a, a level of competing where everybody around them is the, the, athlete, the star athlete, because that's what college football is. College football at the Division One level—that's just taking all the star athletes out of high school and sticking them on one team, and then then you're playing another team of the star athletes. And there's a lot of star athletes that get to college in every sport. They get to college in every sport, and they find out that they can't even make the starting lineup now. You went from being a star athlete to not even being able to crack the starting lineup. You're a second stringer, you know. You're a JV person now, and that's tough, man. That if it's tough especially if you don't have the mental conditioning of like, for example, you don't have to win all your fights, but you have to fight all your fights, you right, know? Right. And, 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 and I think that in coaching, you know, coaches, uh, most coaches goal is to coach up the players in front of them. You know, every, every coach wants to win. That's that, the, you know, of course, every sure, coach wants sure. to win. but as coaches, we always want to see the best version of these people in front of them. Right, we want to right. help them become the best version of themselves. And the only way to do that, is to work on their physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual levels too. I, I think that uh, a lot of your best coaches out there tap into the spiritual world a lot to teach lessons in life because that's what we have. 
it's what's so good about sports, Jeff, and it's that sports is a great way to teach lessons in life. I think so much of sports, sports, for example, I just I just got finished writing a book, Jeff, that's going to come out in the spring. It's called America Needs a Locker Room. Yeah. America needs a locker room because in a locker room, Jeff, you know, locker rooms are special places. They take care of problems like take the problem of racism. Right. You know, in a locker room, you know, racism gets dealt with because here's the thing. In a locker room, we're on a team and this team is made up of different people from different backgrounds, different walks of life, different hangups, different hurts. Everybody brings their collective selves into a locker room and you look around and it's all these different people. But in a locker room, your success is my success. You know, in a locker room, a mistake doesn't make you a mistake. In a locker room, there's always a path to become whole again. I mean, not unless you, I mean, unless you've done something terrible, you know, right, but right. there's always a path to become whole again. And in locker rooms, you deal with these things. You talk about or you have a broken locker room. And when you have a broken locker room, you don't win games anymore. Right. Broken right. locker rooms are dysfunctional teams. But America needs a locker room right now because America has a broken locker room. It doesn't have a locker room at all. And in this book, America Needs a Locker Room, we talk about that. We talk about how we need a place in America for people to come up from different walks of life. And a locker room in real life, locker room, Jeff. It could be 100 people in one room or it could be two people sitting across from each other, yeah. each other having a cup of coffee from different backgrounds, discussing things, talking to things, because we have to start talking to each other again, Jeff. That's not happening in America right now. We're screaming at each other. We're waiting for right. our chance right. to talk, you know? Well, I love that. And I'm uh, so excited about that. I feel as though uh, we've become so vulnerable, but we do not want to be accountable. And that's something about a great locker room. You can air your differences, but a coach and your teammates and yourself are going to propel you to uh, to take on that responsibility for yourself and for your team. And Damon, man, I, I think we could be friends. I, I'd love to talk to you for another hour, but uh, I know our time's running out. So if you could just share, how did you meet John Gordon, the John Gordon? And when he said that he wanted to work with you, take that story that Mr. Jackson told you, how excited were you? How did he even hear about the coffee bean story? It's a great story, Jeff. It's a great one to end on, too, man. You've done your homework. By the way, man, thank you for doing all the back work on this, because when people want to interview me um, for a podcast or, or anything, and I try to make myself available to everybody. I answer requests on Twitter. Like I said, I respect that. I respect people just reaching out and jumping out and blindly asking a question. The story is about that, too, by the way, I'm about to tell you. But um when people do that, I ask them to, to please read my take the time to read my book, because then it's going to be a more well-informed interview, a better conversation than me just telling my story. And this conversation today has been great, Jeff. I've really enjoyed the time you put in, the questions you've asked. You've allowed me to, to stretch out and run in areas that not, other people have never thought to ask. So thank you for what you've done. And so I'm going to tell you this story because this story goes right along the line with my mentality of always asking the question. You know, you reached out, you asked a question, you put yourself out there, you made yourself vulnerable and vulnerability, Jeff, is a strength. I don't care what anybody says, man. We've got this this uh, relationship in our minds sometimes that the word vulnerable means weakness and vulnerability is a strength, brother. And that's what it's all about. So January of 2007, January 12th, 2017, I've been out of prison for 14 months. I walked out of prison November 16th, 2015. You know, seven years, three months, 18 days after that jury sentence to life in prison. So um, January 12th, 2017, I'm at this law firm where I work in Beaumont, Texas. And, and I love my job at the law firm. 
but I've got this dream to share this story, this message to college football teams that I don't have any access to college football coaches. Jeff, I mean, I've been in prison, man, and I didn't have played ball in 20 years, man. No one knows Damon West. So a buddy of mine in Houston calls me up and he works for KHOU, the big media station, their big CBS station. He says, hey, look, tonight is the Bear Bryant Coach of the Year Award. The best coach in America is going to be named. He said the eight best coaches in the country are going to be in this room. Do you want to go? I can sneak you in. Man, you bet I want to go, man. I've been, I need this opportunity, right? So I, I drive. I live in Beaumont. I live 90 miles away. I drive an hour and a half from Beaumont to Houston after work. I get to the Toyota Center. He sneaks me in. I hit the ground running. And all the best coaches are there in their room that night, man. I mean, USC, Wisconsin, Penn State, P.J. Fleck, they're all there, Jeff. And I get to meet every one of these coaches and shake their hands and give them my pitch. And every single coach I meet that night slams the door in my face, man. And they all, they're all rejecting me. They're all telling me no, man. One of the coaches starts running the other direction when I tell him I just got out of prison. He can't get away from me fast enough, right? So, man, in one hour, Jeff, I've been told no seven times. Seven of the eight coaches have shot me down in one hour. That's one no every eight minutes. You talk about going out there and asking the question, man, being not being afraid to be told no. I've been told no seven times in one hour, man. I'm in the corner of the Toyota Center. I'm licking my wounds and I'm feeling sorry for myself. And that voice in my head kicks in and says, Damon, go home. Go home. That last coach is going to tell you no, like all the other coaches did. And the last coach that I want to talk to that night, the one I haven't been able to get to, he just won the national championship two nights before against Alabama. Everybody wants this guy's time. Yeah. But then that other voice kicks in, in my head. That competitor says, you know what? You survived prison. You survived way worse than this. That guy's going to tell you no to your face. That's not going to hurt like prison did. And you want to be a motivational speaker. What kind of motivational speaker just quits, right? You know, who wants to listen to that guy? So the voice is saying, you're going to, you're going to talk to this guy. He's going to tell you no to your face. And then you drive home that hour and a half. So, Jeff, I stalked Dabo Swinney around that room that night. And, I mean, I must have looked like a crazy person. I mean, I'm drop-tumble rolling. I'm hiding behind fake plants. I mean, I look like a nut. I mean, eavesdropping on every conversation the guy has. And I finally get my opportunity, and I get in Dabo's face for about a minute. And after that minute, Dabo's like, dude, you got a card on you or something? I'm sitting there Mm. catching my breath. and I give him a card. And he snatches away from me. His body language says no, man. He's just, he can't get away from me fast enough. Man, I've had this guy for a whole minute. He, he says, hey, thanks for being tough. He's over his shoulder. He's gone. He's gone. I, all I see is the back of Dabo. And I'm like, you know what, man, another no. But I felt okay about that last no, Jeff. And I'll tell you why. Because I left it all on the field. Leaving it all on the field, yeah. man. That's what we yeah. talk about in sports. When we're young, we grow up. They teach us, you know, you get in there, you you try your best. And, and you know what? Sometimes you aren't going to win. You don't have to win all your fights, Jeff. You don't, but you have to fight all your fights. I just right. lived it out in that room that night for a couple of hours in Houston. And I went back home and I slept like a baby because that's what we do, man. We, we give it our best shot. And when you fail, giving it your best shot, you don't sit there and think about what could have been, what should have been. You say, you know what? I did everything I could. Like in sales. You know, salespeople, we tell salespeople, knock on every door, make every call, like what you did, reaching out to me. You reached out, you tried, and, and, and it, look, we, we succeeded. But that night I failed, over 8, but I went home and I slept like a baby. Four months later, I got an email out of the blue from the director of football operations at Clemson University, a guy named Mike hmm. Dooley. And, and Mike Dooley's email says, hey, Damon, Coach Sweeney met you at a award show in Houston. He'd love to have you come talk to the team. Do you have August 1st open? Dude, I got every first open. I got nothing going on in my life. Of course I do, man. So August 1st, 2017, I go speak to the Clemson Tigers, the defending national champions of college football. And when I got done with my, my presentation that night at Clemson, 
Dabo was in my face now. Dabo's in my face. And he's he's like, man, that's the most amazing story I've ever heard. I've never seen my players respond like that to a speaker. He said, man, have you been to Alabama yet? I'm like, no, Dabo. I've been to Clemson, dude. I haven't been anywhere. <laughs> so he said, we'll see about that. He said, I just texted Nick Saban from the back of the room. Told him I was watching. Wow. And Jeff, when I landed at Houston the next day from that trip to Clemson, I had a voicemail and a text message from the director of football operations at University of Alabama and said, we'll see you in Tuscaloosa in three weeks. You're wow. on. I mean, just like that, Dabo has kicked open the door to college football. Every coach in America is calling my cell phone now because Dabo has given them my number. But the real magic happened one year later, man. August of 2018, I'm at that law firm again, and I'm at work, and my phone rings. On the other end of the phone is John Gordon. John Gordon, man. I follow this guy on Twitter, the motivational speaker, the author, the huge motivator, this keynote speaker. This guy speaks to everywhere in the world, man. And he's sold 5 million books probably. He's an energy bus guy, man. I follow yeah, yeah, him. Yeah. I get my inspiration every morning from this dude. And he's on my phone. And I'm like, and he sounds, get that little New York twang. And he sounds <laughs> like him. I'm like, John, man, how do you know who I am? He said, Dabo Sweeney. He said, I was just in Dabo's office. I just got done talking to the team. And Dabo was telling me all about this coffee bean message. He said, Damon, he said, the coffee bean message is amazing. He said, and he told me this in 2018. He said, the world needs the coffee bean message, Damon. Let's mm. deliver this message to the world. This is before the pandemic, Jeff. Yeah, yeah. And my response to John, I'm just overwhelmed, right? My response to John was like, John, you're John Gordon. You don't need Damon West. Go write the coffee bean. You have my permission. Man. Go, write, go write the book yourself. I got it from a guy in prison. It's not even my message. He said, Damon, God told me to call you. And he said, if we don't do it together, we just don't do it at all. So don't, wow. you know, don't overthink this thing. If you don't want to do it, we just won't write. Neither one of us write the book. How about that? So I was like, all right, John, we'll do it. So I wrote the book with John. Came out in July of 2019. Like I said before, it's been a bestseller ever since. My life was completely changed by the encounters with men like Dabble Swinney and John Court. Because I, I compare it all the time to like, I tell people it was like hooking up a little Red Rider wagon to a rocket ship. And being launched into space. I mean, you're shaking, you're holding on. And my life is taking off. I'm all over the country now. And uh, but it all comes back to that night on January 12th, 2017, at that award show in Houston, when I refused to quit after seven straight no's in one hour. Wherever I, I just refused to quit, Jeff. Yeah. I refused to go home without getting that last no. That last no I was sure I was gonna get ended up being the biggest yes of my life and changing my life. And I tell people all the time. Don't quit before the miracle happens. You never know where your Dabo Sweeney moment's going to be, but if you quit, you'll never see it anyway. And if I wouldn't have stuck around that room that night, you wouldn't know who Damon West is. You you probably wouldn't have the message of the coffee bean. Hmm. So a lot can happen with one yes, Jeff. So Damon West, uh, a couple quick hitters, then we'll get you out. DamonWest.org, Instagram, Twitter, at DamonWest7. That's the number seven, at DamonWest7. And uh, on YouTube, the Damon West channel. And that uh, first quick hitter is a few weeks ago on ESPN, Inky Johnson, Damon West were profiled before college football. What does that mean to you to know that you have been rescued from where you were and now God's using you with a tremendous message that helps so many, not just on the athletic field, but all those watchers, listeners as well. Uh, you're making an impact. Yeah. You look, I mean, first of all, to be mentioned in a story with Inky Johnson and all those <laughs> other motivational speakers. Oh my God. Those guys are huge, man. They're, they're so powerful. Their messages are so powerful, man. My, my little story to be included with theirs, my, my face, my name in that story. Whoa, talk about a humbling moment, man, because those guys are giants. To be around those giants like that, 
truly humbling. It was, uh, but you know, I joke around all the time when big things like that happen. I'm like, man, if the boys in the joint could see me now, and I'm thinking to myself, the sports has watched so much that there's there were guys in prison that saw that that Saturday morning when college football kicked off and game day did that, and um, I think about the hope that it brought to people like that, hmm. the hope it brings to people all over the place that a guy like me that is so flawed because I'm a very flawed human being and we all are, we're all flawed, whether or not we want to admit it, but I'm a very flawed human being. And if a flawed guy like me can be redeemed and find a path forward and be useful, then anybody can do it because yeah. if I can do it, you can do it. And that's the real message of the story. That's the real power of the Damon West story. It's not my story. It's God's story. It's, it's And that's what God does. God uses people yeah. through their stories to show what he can do. He's not around burning bushes anymore and stuff like that. Now he's using people and saying, Hey, look, I, I redeemed this person. You can do this too, because I have, everybody is capable of going to God and do that. I tell people all the time that, that people are like, Hey, I found God. God's not hiding. God, right. Right. God's there. <laughs> and he'll meet you wherever you are. He met me inside of a max security prison, Jeff. David, final question I have for you. I actually stole it from Hernando Planos, basketball coach, uh, his be contagious podcast. If or in case when, when for you, when that feature film is made about your life, who plays you in that feature film? Huh. There is. So Lionsgate film has the shopping agreement right now on the change agent. And I've got two screenwriters I'm working with on it. Probably shouldn't say their names. It's kind of a big thing going on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and look, the idea that I want to play me, the person I'd like to play me is someone that we're in talks with and we've got to get a, a, a script in front sure. of them to make it yeah. even happen. But honestly, I'd like it to be Eminem. There you go. Eminem. I think Eminem wow. would be a great, I mean, he, he hasn't really done a lot of acting since eight mile. Right. Um, he was a great actor in eight mile, but Eminem and I come from a lot of the same backgrounds, uh, you know, prison that you see in the book, like Mr. Jackson was telling prison's all about race and, and Eminem. Yeah has been the only white guy in the right. room and the white guy in the room, like in prison and the white guy in the room in the rap game. Uh, he's fought to be where he is right now. Uh, he has that, that attitude of never giving up. He's been knocked down so many times. He keeps getting back up and he's a recovering addict. I'm a recovering addict. He's in recovery. Yeah. I'm in recovery. You know, he got sober, you know, on, I think his recovery date is April 20th, 2008. Mine's July 30th. 2008 and we're almost exactly right by each other mine was by a SWAT team his was, his was by choice um so but we have a lot in common and i think eminem would be a great person to draw from his personal emotional feelings to play damon west well damon thank you so much for making the time i have so many more questions we'll have to save it for part two when uh, the book comes out america needs a locker room and uh I wish you all the best for whatever it means. I'm proud of you. Your story is so inspiring, but uh, not just to hear or for entertainment sake, but for the fact that uh, God has a plan for us and he can use us wherever we are. So uh, thank you for making the time and sharing that story today. Jeff, thank you. And thank you for putting the time into it that you did to make this a like, wonderful podcast and wonderful interview, brother. It was really good. I'm really, I really appreciate it, man. Hey, thanks so much. Again, Damon West, you can find him, DamonWest.org. And my name is Jeff Fuller, J. Fuller Interviews on Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, wherever uh, things are put up. That's where I am. Also, the Backfire Podcast with Jeff Fuller of J. Fuller Interviews on Apple iTunes and Google Podcasts. Thanks, everybody. We love you so much. And uh, thanks for making the time.